This is the Territory Story Podcast with Leon Logan-Nathan and Peter Gowers. Thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency. Hello there. Welcome. This is the Territory Story Podcast, weekend edition or weekends with Walsh as it's also known. My name is Peter Gowers. I'd like to introduce now my co-host, Mr. Leon Logan-Nathan. How are you, mate? How are uh, mate? Uh, what a day. What a day. It's uh, Friday evening, 9.45 p.m. Mm-hmm. We normally record this podcast on Thursdays at yeah. 8 p.m. Mm-hmm. Why are we doing it on Friday? <laughs> well, um, <clears throat> I had an injury and was not up to recording yesterday. That's not the answer? <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, well, why don't we introduce the uh, third member of the team for this episode, Chris Walsh. Well, I'd like team. to... Uh, I'd like to introduce our, oh, okay. Okay. our uh, nominee for the Pulitzer Prize <laughs> for reporting this year, <laughs> Mr. Christopher Walsh from the NT Independent Online Newspaper. Chris Walsh, what hey. are we down today? Yeah, guys, I'm glad that, that we're, we're doing it tonight now, though. I mean, that being said, it's been a pretty crazy day with my head buried in, in a... Uh, a very large document, a very dense document, of course, that the Independent Commissioner Against Corruption put out early this morning. Uh, and, of course, I was into, um, well, the, the Darwin Turf Club, of all things, and the grandstand scandal. And, look, he's he said here in this report that uh, what he's found is corruption, misconduct, breaches of public trust, and mismanagement of public resources – among other things, implicating senior public servants, local businessmen, and Darwin Turf Club members. So, yeah. This is an official ICAC report. This is it. This is done. This has taken more than a year, we learned today. This is uh, uh, everybody's been given uh, the opportunity for natural justice. This is is his biggest report and Mm -hmm. most important report to this day. And I know that, that people were you know, questioning him and uh, what he what he's been doing this whole time. What he's delivered today is explosive. We call it this bombshell report. What is in here when you drill down and um, and actually get into the nitty gritty details? Uh, it's shocking in some respects. In other ways, it isn't. In other ways, this is very typical of what goes on in this place, what goes on in Darwin. I mean, this is stuff, this is very reminiscent of the CLP Giles government and uh, scandals that they got mixed up in. Um, uh, yeah, when I, and you just realize that it's, it's sometimes you, you lose sight, I think a lot of us do when we think that the government uh, are the ones who are doing everything here and and they certainly have a role to play but what this exposes here is that this isn't just the government like and i'm thinking like with the clp they kind of took they kind of became the targets for everything because they engaged in all this scandal and all and all this mischief and this just craziness but you realize that it's not just a government when it comes in and when it gets elected that this stuff is it seems to be a part of the culture here unfortunately it seems to be 
you know, and we, we, we talked about this in Crocs in the Cabinet, this internecine relationship of everybody knowing everybody and uh, conflicts of interest not being addressed, not being managed properly, not being disclosed even at times. Really what this report gets into is is those very serious issues that we've yet to overcome here in Darwin. And I think in a lot of ways uh, point to, uh, you know, shortcomings in, in, in how this place hasn't been able to grow as a, as a professional jurisdiction uh, and, and be able to manage its own affairs. And we'll get into it here, guys. But my God, the stuff that's in here is just shocking. And then, you know, getting back to the government, I think we'll, we'll get to that near the end here. But, you know, we just ran that story about four o'clock this afternoon. You know, th- this government now stands accused essentially of, well, it's not even accused. I mean, th- these are facts. They mismanaged public money by giving this grant. They did not have any verifiable costings for this $12 million grandstand. They couldn't prove anything, the turf club, and it wasn't even the turf club. It was Brett Dixon himself who was approaching the government doing it. And we'll get into it, but. But they, they, they approve this $12 million of taxpayer money in the middle of a financial crisis, no less, to well, the Turf this, Club. Well, so this was 2019. Remember, December 2018, we had Madison come out as the treasurer and say, oh, we're screwed here. We're in a financial crisis. And then you've got six months later, they're awarding $12 million that they don't have to this to the, to the, to Brett Dixon to build this uh, grandstand of the Turf Club. And what we found here is that what the ICAC has found, and I mean, we, we started getting around these places here. We were reporting on this stuff. We didn't realize that this was the case. It was this bad that, that you had them approving the, the grant application that they had only received the day before they approved it, the official application. And he found it was so flawed, could not back up anything that it said was actually written that morning given to the government at 2 p.m. the day before they go into cabinet and come out of cabinet and award $12 million of taxpayer money. It's crazy. We'll get into that in a little bit. But first, and not even just government, I mean, there's so many other things. We're talking about the public service here who's been brought into disrepute that the ICAC has found uh, engaged in in, uh, in unsatisfactory conduct, in... Um, in misconduct, in breaches of the public trust and mismanagement of public resources. We've got local businessmen. We've got the members of the, of the Darwin Turf Club. Yeah, guys, it's, um, I haven't seen anything like this here before. This has really laid bare a lot of the problems of, of Darwin and the NT. Chris, you said something at the start, which I'd just like to drill down on and get some more explanation around. And you said that we've known this is coming for a while, uh, but natural justice had to be served first. Can you just explain that concept? Yeah, sure. Like, so in, in my field, we call that right of reply, right? Like, so when we do yeah. stories, we, yeah, you go to people and you get a right of reply. So, uh, what, what has happened here now is an investigation that the ICAC undertook that's taken over a year. Uh, he does all of his findings. He then goes to the people who, uh, adverse findings are against. Now, in this case, there were five people that he, that he made adverse findings against. So he went to them and gave them an opportunity to explain that they get to read uh, what the findings are against them. And they're given, you know, in some cases, I think over a month, it's supposed to be about a month, 28 days or something. I think these guys, you know, from, from rumors going around that they, they kind of pushed it as far as they could. Uh, but yeah, so 
look, you know, and yeah, and 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 most of these people, in fact, all these people that had the adverse findings had, um, you know, told the commissioner that they didn't agree with him. Uh, but then he's made the determination that nothing that they said after that fact would take away from his findings, his adverse findings against them. So that's where we're at. in the whole process. They had the right of reply. They had natural justice afforded to them. They, all of them took him up on that. And, uh, yeah, and here we are. And these are still the findings that he's come out with. So I want to, I think we can at this point probably explain who those five people are too. Okay. So, yeah. So before we do that, I, I just want to just read out a couple of paragraphs from the background to the ICAC report, right? So they start off by saying that this report deals with the Northern Territory Government's award of a $12 million grant to the Darwin Turf Club Incorporated to construct a public grandstand. It examines both how the grant, the grant was made and how the subsequent tender for design and construction of the grandstand was awarded. There are two important points to make at the outset. First, this report should not be taken as a criticism of the Northern Territory Government's prerogative to award grants. Providing grants is a means by which governments of all levels affect their policy commitments. Secondly, it should not be taken as a criticism of the end product that is, the Darwin uh, uh, Turf Club Incorporated structure known as the new public stand. The manner in which the public money was granted, however, is of issue. Grants pose a corruption risk around Australia from award through to administration. There have been several high-profile grant programs under scrutiny recently and for good reason. I think we it's the sports uh, wrote, the wrote sports grants. Yeah, the yeah that's what he's referring to. Those, right? Yeah. Findings of ensuing inquiries point to a number of risks, including ministerial interference in departmental recommendations, preferential treatment for government-held electoral divisions, and lack of transparency in respect of how grants are assessed and awarded. The public rightly expects that grant programs and monies are assessed and distributed according to a transparent process under the relevant policies and guidelines. So that sort of gives us a little bit of a background as to where the commission is coming from. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so, and here's where he's gone. Uh, and here's what he's found. So we've got well we've got a lot of issues here uh and as i said that they're you know we found failings in the senior ranks of the public service uh on all fronts uh he also found the conflicts of interest were not declared or managed and and uh also highlighted the roles of other people that were involved in all this too i get back into to darwin being this place where all this happens and we'll get into this further but he mentioned a mysterious senior media figure who factored into all of this and you know, former politicians, former labor politicians who were involved in the process that saw that club eventually receive that $12 million grant, taxpayer money, taxpayer funded grant. Uh, here's the, 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 uh, the findings, I guess, the adverse findings here against people. Uh, Brett Dixon, the turf club chair and the owner of JTEX, 
the commissioner said in his report that uh, Dixon may be referred to the director of public prosecutions for the consideration of criminal charges and to the police commissioner also uh, for the consideration of charges. Uh, the ICAC also found that he breached the public trust. Uh, the questions were then raised about him and, and, and about, quote, his fitness to hold any office with an inherent fiduciary responsibility. Uh, that is that those are not pleasant findings that when you're a businessman. And that includes company yes. directorships, I imagine, Chris. Yeah, that's what he's okay. getting at here. Okay. Uh, so yeah, look, yeah. Uh, there were four other people also found to have engaged in improper conduct in this whole thing and varying degrees of improper conduct. So that also was uh, the Chief Minister Michael Gunner's former Chief of Staff. We all remember him, Elf Leonardi, uh, the General Manager uh, and Co-Director of JTEX, Matthew Moss, uh, former Turf Club CEO Keith Stacy. And current Turf Club board member and the grandstand project manager, Damian Moriarty. Uh, so, yeah, look, and then they get into details of all the things that these people are accused here in the ICAC report of doing. And like I said, they vary. Uh, the only one who the ICAC had suggested could be referred for criminal charges is Brett Dixon. Everybody else seemed to have engaged in what he did, determined to be misconduct but not to a level of degree, I guess, that it became criminal in nature. Uh, but anyway, you know, still, like Leon said there in the beginning, you know, the public has this expectation that when you're dealing with public money, that you do this properly. And even these guys who are on the boards and stuff and, uh, and think that, oh, well, we're not public servants, this doesn't apply to us. No, it applies to you as soon as you receive that public money. And it's all on it's you know you're responsible and in fact you know the turf club itself i mean the, what they make in money is very small compared to what we as taxpayers give them for operating revenue and then we get into that stuff here and that's a whole thing um uh and, and really goes to some of the issues that were raised here uh because we're talking about donations being exchanged here it, what appears to be shortly after promises were made to, to increase public funding to the racing industry. Uh, this stuff just gets so dirty in here. And, and look, the, the, the investigation, uh, Ken Fleming's investigation found a close relationship between Britt Dixon and Elf Leonardi. He said it wasn't a friendship, but was a close relationship that involved promises made by uh, Mr. Leonardi to Mr. Dixon for increased funding to the race and this is in the lead up to the 2016 election there's a letter sent from Alf Leonardi who's you know running Gunner's campaign is Gunner's main man here uh, gonna be the chief of staff when Gunner gets elected well I think he was his chief of staff in opposition and he goes to Dixon and he says look the CLP cut your funding we can bring it back for you and in fact they cut it last year because this was a labor funding deal that had started in the previous Henderson government, this five-year deal, and the CLP had knocked it back and only given one year. So, so hopefully, and Artie says, look, we'll restore the $17 million from that year that you missed out, and we'll, we'll bring it back to the same five-year deal that we had before with the previous Henderson government. Now, that five-year deal worked up to something like $80 million, $79 million 
of taxpayer money going into to to kickstart the racing industry here. <laughs> so th- this is where I mean, and the report states here. Well, see, and then what happens after this this promise is made is you see, then less than three months later, Brett Dixon through various companies makes two fifty thousand dollar donations to the anti labor party, and we'll get into that later, but. Um, as the ICAC raised here, gifts, benefits, hospitality abounded in the form of free tickets to racing in the industry events throughout the NT. Uh, a lot of that wasn't disclosed. And in fact, that was the findings against Elf Leonardi was that he didn't disclose all of this hospitality that Brett Dixon was lavishing on him. That we can see in text messages that are in the report that, that, that Elf Leonardi would text Brett Dixon and say, Hey, look, we haven't been invited to this event. Is this, is this an oversight on your part? We need to be at this event. And then Brett says, Oh my health. No, of course, you're a very special guest. You, you're, you're definitely welcome to come here. And it's like, why is this guy who's making like $400,000 a year needing to be given free tickets to turf club events? You know, and a guy who is in this position where, uh, you know, in this very senior position with the chief minister that he's making decisions that affect the, 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 the expenditure of public funds. And in this case, uh, it's just so crazy. He actually just told a good the question ICAC, about that. Wait, wait yeah, ahead. but just wait. So, so he told the ICAC in, in his um, natural justice response, he said, I didn't realize that the declaration policy applied to me in the role that I was in at the time. So he told the ICAC that I, I was the chief of staff to the chief minister. I didn't think I needed to declare hospitality. This is outrageous. Like, this is crazy that this man thinks that. And this guy's a longtime public servant. Like, people know him here. He knows the rules. But he's saying, oh, in his role, why, why would he not think that a declaration policy would apply to the chief of staff? Like, the most, one of the most important roles in government. Uh, it's just crazy. But sorry, Leon, I, I got you off there. I was just going to ask. So he, he was texting Brett saying that, why haven't I been invited to this? Was he talking about being invited in his personal capacity or his capacity of, as chief of staff? Well, that's it. I, I don't think that there's any separation there. And he didn't get into that. It was just messages between them. And, and then he'd get an invite for he and his partner. Oh, no, I can settle that. Now I'm thinking about it. There was a text saying our ministers haven't got their invitations yet to things. Right. So clearly he's operating as the chief of staff in that role, right. trying to secure invites for elected officials uh, to go there now. And I'm yeah, to put that on some sort of declaration. Register members' interests. Yeah. And most of them were because they were given these these honorary memberships which they gave to like every politician some accepted some didn't the chief minister accepted nicole madison accepted natasha files accepted the three most senior natasha files only uh late last year was found that she rejected hers and said no i'm not going to do that anymore too little too late after all this and these conflicts that weren't really you know, well, the the the, the kind of cloud the whole picture. Right. Of what so, happened so let me. Let me I just want to drill down a little yeah. bit. I mean, I know there's a million things to talk about here, Chris, but I just want to, you know, go down some of these little um, tributaries, shall we? Shall we say off, yeah. off the main river here, right? Yeah. So, so, so Alf Leonardi is saying, Brett, why aren't you inviting um, me and um, my, you know, my ministers? To, to these to this event or events yeah. or whatever they were, uh, and Brett saying, "Oh, sorry, forgot. Uh, you know, here's the invitation." Uh, they all go along. The ministers have declared that on the public register. Well, so they've they declared so far. 
well, they've declared they've declared that they have these honorary memberships now. I guess the question there would be, and the ICAC doesn't get into all of this kind of level of detail, Liam, but um, I guess the question then would be, yeah, were there other things that they received with that? Like, what does that honorary membership entitle them to? Were there other benefits or gifts that they were given at the time? I mean, we don't know. He didn't get into that in there, but we do know, I think, for the establishment of that, that what, well, to share those text messages was showing that specifically to Elf Leonardi in that particular instance, that he was receiving benefits, he was getting invites, and he wasn't declaring them. And in right. fact, uh, yeah, that that was the whole, that was really led to these adverse findings against Elf Leonardi, that he should have known better than that. He knew the rules. He wasn't yeah. declaring them. If benefits. you take a step back, right? I mean, we, yeah. we, we're here as Territorians looking at what our government is doing, what our opposition is doing. And so Alf Leonardi is chief of staff. He's approaching a businessman in Darwin saying, dude, where's, the, where's my invitation? Where's the invitation for my ministers? It, it sort of, you know, you start talking about the smell test, the pub test and all the rest of it, right? Yeah. Um, it's a little bit of an unequal bargaining situation really isn't it this is something as lawyers we tend to be a little bit sensitive about where someone from government is saying hey you know where's my invitation um and and that puts them in a position of power or and of and in privilege and so as a businessman you feel kind of slightly intimidated because you're thinking well hang on if i don't invite this guy and if i don't invite the ministers then they might not look favorably on anything that I want to do in the future. Well, contracts specifically is what you're saying. Yeah, we know the Darwin context here. And yeah, that they'd be afraid that they wouldn't get contracts moving forward. Right. So, so yeah. it, it, it's, it's really inappropriate for the chief of staff to be asking for, yeah. the, for the invitations. Yeah, and then that's what Ken Fleming found here right. in this. So, and, and look, let's leave, we'll leave the government there, just right mm-hmm. there, because I want to get into some of the stuff that happened with JTEX and with the Turf Club, and I want to come back to the government when we get into uh, what really happened here and what, what, what donations actually bought, because it starts to appear that we know that now. Um, but right now, look, uh, getting back into this, secret meetings with contractors, uh, you know, uh, Fleming said that JTEX was given the inside edge on the tender, right? So remember, the whole controversy was around, well, first and foremost, the $12 million when the anti-government's in a, in a fiscal crisis, but given to the turf club for them to build this this giant grandstand, which at the time was they were saying was for members only. I think it still is. I don't think anyone can just show up there. But anyway, $12 bucks to build it. That was questionable. But then where the real controversy came is when Brett Dixon's company, JTEX, was awarded the contract to build it. Right. So you had the chair who of the board of the turf club who it would appear had some involvement in determining this grandstand project. And then his company gets the deal, gets all the money to build it. And what we find here now, keep in mind that we've reported on a lot of this going forward. And I think this ICAC report has shown that, well, backs up all of our reporting to date on it. <laughs> um, but it's interesting that the Ken Fleming's take on it all. So he found that Dixon's company, JTEX, was given the inside edge on the tender. And, and he reports here on a secret meeting. Now we had heard about this, right? And 
just to take you guys back for a second, the board, the turf club board did not know according to the minutes and according to what people said, the board did not know that Dixon was pursuing this grandstand project. He basically unilaterally started contacting Alf Leonardi, who now put him in touch with ministers and other senior labor figures to, to work the government, to work the public service into getting this grant, $12 million, which we later found was just an arbitrary number. He actually couldn't even back up what the 12 million was if that was the actual cost of doing it. But anyway, he, 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 he goes down this road. He gets all this stuff done. The board doesn't officially know about it until like the day after Dixon's told that he's been successful in getting the grant to build the grandstand for the turf club, not for his company, for, his, for the turf club. So he goes in June to the minutes of the meeting before the meeting starts. He tells everybody, Oh yeah, guess what guys? We got 12 million bucks to build a new grandstand. How about that? And they're like, Oh wow. Okay. Well, we got a few questions about this. Like, how did these plans get developed? For instance, and he's showing them plans and uh, this seems to be well progressed. Well, the, the, the problem with that, I mean, just on face value, how could he act without the board's direction here? I mean, was he acting outside of the Associations Act? Was he deceiving the board, which is a violation of the Associations Act? That argument could be made. Um, now, where we get into an issue here, too, is, is what happened before he told the board, after the government told him, after Michael Gunner and his cabinet made the decision for the $12 million, Dixon's told about that. Before he tells the board, the day before he has, the ICAC has, 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 has shown this, a secret meeting was held at his residence that involved himself, JTEX's general manager, Matthew Moss, the co-owner of the company, uh, Darwin Turf Club CEO, Keith Stacy, Concept Designs Director, George Savis, and also an engineer. Now, Savis with Concept Designs and the engineer, these guys are tenants of of uh of brett dixon's corporate park and brett dixon has used them with jtex for a lot of projects they're basically jtex's guys now they also happen to have done a lot of work for the turf club too in the past right so he gets all of these people around at his house to have a meeting about this now what ken fleming the icac found was that the meeting discussed the grandstand so he brought all these people in to discuss the grandstand project. He said it would seem aspects of the tender process were discussed. Now, this is before it even went to tender and before the board even knew about it. Quotes were sought from Savis's firm and the engineers for preparation of plans and drawings on which prospective tenderers would bid. This approach conferred, the ICAC has found, this approach conferred on Mr. Dixon as the owner of JTEX that was soon to bid on the project a considerable advantage. Mr. Dixon had a full 18 months knowledge of the project prior to the tender being released. So, wow, like that is pretty damning stuff here. I mean, he was acting without the board's knowledge. He brought in people. He started doing designs on this project and then maintained that it was going to go to a public tender, which it did. But he's then saying, oh, I had nothing to do with it. He told everybody. As soon as it went to tender, even before that, as soon as we knew about it, I wasn't involved. I stepped back. Nothing with the board discussed. Now, we've proven before in our reporting that that wasn't true, that that public statement he made based on the minutes in, in June and July 
showed that he was actively involved in discussions. The ICAC has backed this up with his findings that Dixon was negotiating with the port. He was involved with, with everything to do with the grandstand, even when it was out to tender. So it went out to tender in, uh, I believe it was July, but before that in June, he was talking to the board about setting it up. He knew all the inside details. He had had this meeting with the engineer and the designers and everything. So, uh, as he said, you know, it gave, it gave them an inside edge into the, into getting this deal. And he had made false declarations, uh, to the public, to the media, to the anti-government about his involvement in this. And the, no, I wasn't involved. Now we've reported this. We've, we've canvassed this a lot before. The ICAC's backed this up saying that, yeah, he didn't do this. That it represents an egregious breach of public trust and raises questions about Dixon's fitness to hold any office. As I said, with an inherent fiduciary responsibility. Uh, so you've got that going on, right? So that's what's going on with the turf club. And Dixon is doing this. Now, what they find here too is that, uh, by Dixon doing and behaving the way that he did, that, and by making these false declarations when he signed the capital agreement. Now, of course, in that capital agreement, when he got the grant money to the turf club, it said, do you know of any conflicts that exist? And he said, no. Now, they found that that wasn't true, of course. He had, he was the one with conflicts. He had conflicts. So what that ended up doing was actually putting the turf club in a position of having the funding suspended or terminated because it's a breach of the contract. And that was a matter that the NT government uh, uh, subsequent investigation didn't pick up because that investigation, and we did that story earlier in the week, was that they didn't check the minutes of the June-July meeting. All they checked were the August meetings when it was announced that JTEX had won the, uh, the deal. So they didn't check June and July, which, you know, I think in any type of investigation, they should be doing that to find out what happened before the contract was awarded. They would have found that Dixon was heavily involved despite telling everybody he wasn't. He was very much involved. In fact, he was the one who made a motion at a meeting to pay the project manager $30,000 on behalf of the turf club as the board. As, uh, yeah, for the board, paying this guy $30,000. Now, this guy was also on the panel selection. So this was Damian Moriarty. He was also on the panel selection committee that made the decision. Ultimately. So, and you know, just as an aside there too, um, I want to talk about that for just a brief second that in the ICAX report, he doesn't report on the panel selection process. And that's interesting. And I, and I'm not sure why we know that there were five people on that panel. We know that three of them voted for JTEX. One of them had tied scores for JTEX and some build and the other one voted for some build. And, you know, Dixon was actually in that meeting in June, July saying, according to the minutes, saying that um, he thought it was a real independent panel. It was going to be good. There were only two turf club members. Everyone else was independent. Well, we reported and we found out that there was a woman there who was on the panel who was a, a senior corporate banker with Westpac. Now, Westpac just happens to be JTEX's bank. And in fact, its first customer at Brett Dixon's Darwin Corporate Park out in Barima. Now, and then we get into this other stuff here that, that, that came out in the report that the, pro, the, the probity advisor on this, not the auditor, and the ICAC is, is very deliberate to point that out, that it's not a probity auditor, it's a probity advisor. 
he didn't actually take anyone's conflicts of interest. There were no conflicts of interest disclosed. Now, I would think that that's a very serious conflict of interest to have a banker who represents the same bank that JTEX uses. Uh, wow. And this probate advisor didn't pick that up. And in fact, the ICAC found that the probate advisor uh, had no experience in doing something like this before and really failed to 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 carry out the position the way that he was expected to carry out the position. So you got a lot of issues here um, uh, going on. And we, we've got, and you know, but then I, and then even just back into the turf club, right? They knew about conflicts of interest. The board itself knew about conflicts and didn't do anything. So they knew when he was talking in June, July, after he announces it to the board in June, then sits in on a meeting and starts discussing the grandstand, knowing full well that he was going to bid on it with JTEX. And then in July, too, they let him continue to talk. They knew that he had a conflict of interest and nobody did anything with it. No action was taken by any board members in respect to Dixon's conflicts, nor did Dixon declare any, Fleming wrote in his report. There were multiple instances of false statements made about Dixon's attendance at the board meetings. So even the board didn't say all of the times that he's attended and what he spoke about. His involvement in the meetings, uh, Fleming said official minutes not accurately reflecting business transacted at meetings. And, uh, and I've got an idea where he's got some of that, but, and repeated cut and paste copies of conflict of interest declarations, which we've reported on that did not accurately reflect the meeting to which they claimed to apply. So you had, you had like Dixon, even after he was awarded that in August of 2019, still didn't declare it in every meeting. He had declared that he had done work on the Silks project and some other stuff and that he had the Darwin corporate park, but he never declared that JTEX had been given the, the grandstand. And he still, you know, was involved in everything, even while they're building everything. He's still sitting there as the chair of the board and, and being involved. So, uh, yeah, look, like I said, we get into this whole Darwin-centric thing here, this Darwin, I don't know, web. Um, and the last time it was exposed like this, might I say, was the whole McRoberts thing. And we had, um, you know, everything kind of brought to light there about these uh, parties that were being held, these, you know, elites. I guess they thought they were elite people and, High Society of Darwin, and it all came crashing down. You had McRoberts involved in a relationship with a travel agent, right? And you guys remember that, the travel warts scheme that saw, that saw McRoberts jailed in the end. And so this is now getting back into this. And like we said at the time in, in Crux and the Cabinet in the book, is that sometimes the media get caught up in this. And, and I want to get into this just quickly, but in the report, uh, Fleming found that that there was a, what he called a senior media figure uh, and a media organization that that person represented that enthusiastically reported how great the grandstand was without questioning their statements. And he found that reporting here that the patently false public statements made by board members and others were enthusiastically reported in some quarters of the local press which had committed to and provided favorable coverage of the project despite myriad concerns raised in other quarters. That wasn't us, by the way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we, we, we did not report enthusiastically. But of course, the Indian Independent of Existence in 2019 when this happened. Mm-hmm. 
but that's interesting, guys. And, you know, I'm not going to say too much right now, but I think we all know <laughs> what organization it is. But anyway, look, it'll all it'll all come to light uh, in due course because, uh, yeah, there's some other questions there about text messages being sent by the senior media figures saying, you know, I'll do my best to make this negative media coverage go away. You know, we've always done positive things. Uh, that's what I'm saying. This is just like, like Darwin's problems out for us all. Like that we've got a media that could be complicit in all of this and provide favorable media coverage based on, um, well, I mean, it's not made clear in here if that was advertising, if it was just a friendships. Uh, so was this in know, the report? This was in the report. Yeah. About this mysterious senior media figure who's unnamed. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and who committed to and provided favorable coverage of the project despite myriad concerns raised in other media. Chris, so, a question for you. Yeah. Um, something that has been running around my head for a few days and just confirmed in what you were discussing before. So we, we are of the understanding, or it's on the public record, that the Darwin Turf Club, was granted $12 million to build a grandstand. And at the end of that process, a company was appointed to build that grandstand. Mm -hmm. Am I missing something here or was this done in reverse? Because I note with interest, and again, I believe this is on the public record and please correct me if I'm wrong, but there was three quotes received to build this grandstand and not one of them came in at $12 million. They were all above that figure. So where did the $12 million random grant come from? Yeah, well, that was crazy. So that was found. It was found that Ken Fleming, the ICAC commissioner, found that there was actually no basis whatsoever done for that $12 million figure. Brett Dixon brought that up with Elf Leonardi, and then from that point on, it just got, oh, he needs $12 million bucks. And, and Fleming found that, that there, there was no costings provided. There was actually no breakdown of how they would, how this would cost $12 million. But then it got out there. And then it was, then the grant started leaking out that the grant had been awarded and it was $12 million. So all the companies, when they bid, uh, and there were five at first whittled down to three finalists and, but they all knew. I mean, everybody knew it was $12 million. So they adjusted mm. the, the cost of the, of the tender to be $12 million or to be there. But yeah. And of course it was over somewhere over, I think somewhere under, I can't remember. It was, it was all around that $12 million figure yeah, though. From, and From the yeah. figures that I read, two of them were 12 point something yeah. and, one, and one was about 14. So clearly 14 was bumped out, but I just, yeah. I, I mean, Leon, correct me if I'm wrong here, but doesn't a tender process begin with, we want to do X task. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us what that would cost, and then the grant gets awarded accordingly. You don't start with the figure in mind and work backwards. <laughs> Only in the NT, man. Yeah, I, I just I, uh, I found that I just found no, that strange. It, I couldn't understand it. It really was, and and that's the shocking thing about all this too is that Fleming found that there was no way to prove that that was going to be the price of anything. It just got out there, and it just kept being repeated. But there was no evidence to back up that it was going to cost twelve million bucks. But everybody just went with it. Then, like it's crazy. Like Dixon could have pulled out fifteen, seventeen, eighteen. Like who knows what he could have done and got in the end. Mm. He just did it. He just kind of pulled it out of nowhere. 
So, look, I want to get into this, though, because this that actually brings us to a good point here, right? And and it's important to know this. So, Department of Trade, Business, and Innovation, which was called at the time, it had business in there. I think we would just say Department of Business, but now it's called Trade, Tourism, and Innovation. It's only taken business out. Uh, there were adverse findings against them, against the department, and how they did things. And while no particular adverse findings against Sean Drabch, the chief executive, and we did a story about his investigation uh, into this whole thing. Like I, I mentioned earlier about how he looked at just the minutes from the August meeting when the contract was awarded to JTEX and not at the stuff before. And we'll get back to that. But uh, yeah, what he found now, Fleming found that their attempted investigation, the department's, uh, was thwarted by the Turf Club Board and Secretariat, which failed to provide information and falsely de- declared that documentation did not exist. So you had the Turf Club withholding information. Uh, however, later in the report, Fleming found that the man who carried out the anti-government's investigation into the grandstand, Sean Drabsch, had undertaken and was part of what he called a duplicitous process with Elf Leonardi to pretend that the funding to the turf club would be what they called a market-led proposal. So now th- th- this was separate than a grant. A market-led proposal would have meant that the turf club would throw in money. That, you know, this is something that we think there's a market for. Um, we're willing to put in money. Will the government match us with this or come in and give us something? And so what, what Ken Fleming found was that they progressed it as that at one point, that it was a market-led proposal. At least that was what was on the books. So he found that even lower uh, public servants in the Department of Business, I'm going to say, Gotham is what they are, Department of Business, that they were still pursuing this whole idea that it was a market-led proposal even after the 12 million bucks had already been given. Because what they ended up doing in the end was just giving it as a, like a grant. It was like they had to get it out the door at the end of the financial year, right? There's no, it's not a coincidence that 12 million was given the end of June. It was all from, you know, allocations of, of underspent, you know, money that they just rolled out the door. But you had, you had, um, Elf Leonardi, Gunner's chief of staff contacting Dixon saying, Hey, come on, you got to get this in right now because we can get you money here. But meanwhile, they were pursuing this whole thing, at least on the surface, as being a market-led proposal. Now, and Sean Drapsch was involved with this. Now, Sean Drapsch is the guy who went back and investigated it. And now Fleming said that he didn't get all of the information that the, that the uh, Turf Club withheld some. But why didn't he ask for the minutes? And why do you send the guy in who's involved in the process to begin with to investigate it? I mean, that's a conflict of interest. He was involved. And in fact, the ICAC found that he was part of this duplicitous process where the market proposal was one thing that they set up on the surface of it. And meanwhile, we're really pursuing the ministers and trying to get a grant. So Fleming found, he said, my conclusion is that there is nothing transparent about a process which pretends to be one thing, namely the market-led proposal, but is in fact another thing, namely a direct grant. He continued that he said, I find that the process conducted by Mr. Leonardi and Mr. Drapch was deceptive and hiding the true fact that the process was going to lead to a grant. Mm. 
So, you know, they're, they're, they're trying to fool people here, right? I mean, they're, they've set it up. Uh, yeah. And so that's where, like, you know, the failings in the Department of Business came from was that you had the low level public servants who were thinking, oh my God, I got to follow the rules here. Mark Lip proposed. So they're going, they're almost holding Brett Dixon's hand, too. They're going back to him saying, hey, can you, can you send us the details of this proposal? We want this. And this goes on for like months. And Dixon doesn't respond. And Keith Stacy from the Turf Club, the CEO there, he doesn't respond. Uh, and it just goes on about why don't they respond? Well, because they're actually trying to just get this direct grant. But the market lit proposal was set up kind of maybe as a, uh, as a fail safe if, if the grant thing didn't come through. And then, oh, okay, how do we do this? So they were doing this duplicitous process. So, <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I actually said that it was duplicitous. Duplicitous process, yeah. So, uh, I don't know how Sean Drepsch stays in his job after this. I honestly don't. I mean, this guy well, was involved with it well, all. Why do you say that, Chris? Well, just this. I mean, he was involved in that duplicitous process. Now, he knew, and, and Fleming finds, that they both hid, that him and Leonardi acted together. They were deceptive, and they hid the true fact that the process was going to lead to a grant. Because Mr. Leonardi, Alf... Goodness and Drapsch were aware and were pursuing the ministers to get the grant. They knew that. So when that letter came in, and we'll, we'll, we'll get into that, I think, but when that, when that actual application came in, it went to Sean Drapsch, and this was for the grant, even though they knew they were expecting it. When it finally happened, it went to Drapsch, and Drapsch was expecting this, even though he's got his people, his lower-level level people, working on this market proposal. Which and they're worried and they're thinking, oh God, why isn't it, why aren't they getting back to us? But these guys, Leonardi and Drapsch, no, that's not the real thing. That's not the real game here. It's the grant, and we'll get the grant if we lobby the ministers and stuff. And so Leonardi's doing that, Drapsch is doing that. Drapsch is then brought in to investigate. Now that's the other weird thing that we reported before the ICAC report came out. Michael Gunner, when this all hit the fan, and it came out about JTEX getting the money and everybody was up in arms and furious and rightly So uh, the independent members, so you had Jerry Wood, you had Scott McConnell, um, back then uh, Jeff Collins, all the other, I think Robin Lamley even, now Robin was out of it because she's got, she's conflicted her husband's, uh, I think the president of the Alice Springs Turf Club, she, she's never really commented on this. But you had at least three independents telling Michael Gunner, uh, you got to bring in the Auditor General. To investigate this, this twelve million dollars of taxpayer money that's gone now to this guy's company, the chair of the Turf Club's private company, build this thing. Like it doesn't pass the pub test. This is something's wrong. Gunner rejected those calls. He rejected that um, and instead said, "No, I'm going to bring in the chief executive of the Department of Business, Sean Drapsch, the guy that the ICAC has found now was involved in this duplicitous process with Elf Leonardi. He brought him in to investigate." And of course, he comes back, he goes and talks to the probity advisor, which we know Fleming's found didn't do his job properly, didn't have the experience to carry out that position effectively. Uh, he tells, he tells Drapsch everything's above board. Now, Drapsch is a smart man. He's been around a long time, been around a long time, was in Queensland most recently before he came here in senior roles. He knows what's going on. Why doesn't he say, okay, I'm going to have to see these other minutes, first of all, and also you, probity advisor. No, this is not good enough. This is not good enough. Now, Fleming found that, but Sean Drapsch didn't know that this, the property wasn't done above board, that, that 
the guy, he may have been well-intentioned, but he, he wasn't experienced and didn't know what he was doing. So he does up a report and it's a one page report to Gunner and he, he clears the turf club of any wrongdoing. <laughs> um, yeah, I find that a little, I find that a little hard to swallow here. And that's why I'm saying Drabsch was involved. He was up to his eyeballs in the whole thing. And then somehow they let him investigate. And then Gunner comes out after his investigation and says, no, there's nothing to see here, everybody. And that, and it would have died there. I mean, we started digging around. Um, but then you had also John O'Gibson with ABC puts in that FOI and finds that, uh, that Elf Leonardi had secretly wrote a, a funding proposal letter for Dixon to lobby cabinet with and the senior ministers, right? And we, we've discussed this, this is well traversed. Uh, and then Gunner has to come out and refer it to the ICAC because his chief of staff was found. Now, Gunner says at that time, too, I know nothing. I know nothing. This is all Elf Leonardi. I had no idea he was writing proposals, funding proposals. I sent it to the ICAC as soon as I found out. Uh, and, you know, interesting to know Leonardi was sacked two months after uh, uh, this contract was awarded. And what, what did Gunner know? When did he know it? <laughs> um, you know, that's the other thing. So, uh, I don't know. I guess now's the point we could look at what he did today. Um, Gunner, it comes out at 10 o'clock or something. So this, this report, I think, comes out just before 9 a.m. this morning. Um, a couple of journalists in town start reading it. <laughs> a few of us, I'm not sure how many. Um, and that's the whole day. It's just gone because we got to go through this thing. Um, at, at around 10 a.m., Gunner comes out and does a press conference. Apparently, allegedly, I don't know this. I think Katie was talking about it on the thing. It wasn't, it wasn't aired anywhere. It wasn't like usually ABC would cover it on Facebook or NT News. Nothing. We're nothing. Um, and they didn't even put out a statement on it. Like usually they would do that. Here's the chief minister's statement on the ICAC's findings. But he does this. He tries to front foot it, right? He thinks, okay, I do it at 10 o'clock. No one's actually going to know what's in that report. It's only been 45 minutes, an hour since it was released. Let's go out there and do it. So now Gunner, of course, then goes back to his old routine here uh, about how he doesn't, he wasn't aware of anything. He didn't know that this was going on. Um, he says, uh, uh, yeah, that Leonardi um, had done all of this without his knowledge. He then, he then calls on, uh, he then calls on the, the, the board. He kind of throws everything at the turf club and says, now they're the ones who acted inappropriately. And I call on them to resign or else we'll pass legislation to, uh, to terminate them. Uh, and we're still trying to figure out now where that's at right now on Friday night. There was talk that the board of the turf club, the outgoing disgrace board now, I guess we'd say, uh, had a, uh, had a meeting. Not sure the outcome of that right now, but uh, we should know more probably tomorrow. Uh, yeah, so um, yeah, uh, look, it's just shocking to me that he would come out and try and do this before anybody knew what was going on. And he goes, "Oh yeah, well no, I fronted the media. I did this." It was interesting, you know, on Katie Wolf's show there. They usually have a labor member come on, and they canceled at the last minute because they knew this because this report come on. They didn't want to answer questions. And so Gunner comes out. I'm not sure he was asked any questions from what I can see. There were um, things that he said. Now, one of the other crazy things here that he says is that 
So he's going to sack the board if they don't resign. It's all Elf Leonardi's fault. He didn't know anything about it. Uh, and he's going to get the $12 million back. He's yeah. going to force the. Yeah, he's going to force it. How's he going to do that? Is it like a Trump? <laughs> we're going to get the, the Mexicans to pay for it sort of long? <laughs> yeah, that's right. He's going to get these socialites at the turf club to pay for their own grandstand, which probably what he should have done in the first place. But no, he says that he's going to get the money back by reducing uh, the yeah the funding that they're getting yeah. every year. Now, this is increased, right? Like It was all yeah. part of the deal with Dixon and Leonardi was that you know, if, if labor gets in, we're going to increase your money. And in fact, they found that that happened. Now, how they increased the money wasn't directly to the Darwin Turf Club. It was to the overarching body called Thoroughbred Racing NT. And they're the ones who distribute the government funding to the different turf clubs around the NT. So I guess he's going to be cutting funding to TRNT. Uh, yeah, that's really, that's really lame way but to... That's at, um, that's at the expense of the other turf clubs who... Have maybe to do with this well, who knows? I mean, this is just so not independent, right? Like, so, so one of the guys, so, so Brett Dixon is the chair also, too, right? Of TRNT, so the overall peak body that, that distributes running everywhere else, he's also the chair of that. Now, his deputy chair is a guy named Sid Sterling, who you mm -hmm. guys might remember as a former labor treasurer, yeah. former labor party president. So, Sid Sterling sits on that board, too. Now, Sid created. TRNT back in 2003, 2005 when he was a minister. And now he sits on that board and he distributes where the money goes. So maybe Gunner's saying, oh, I'll just tell Sid, you know, don't give as much money there. Like, honestly, this is just so poorly run. There doesn't seem to be really much oversight at all in terms of how TRNT makes decisions and the conflicts of interest there, too. Again, we had raised that in a story last week about how. You know, does Brett Dixon think that was on the Saturday? Does Dixon think that it's a conflict of interest for him being on TRNT and the Tur and the Darwin Turf Club? And uh, Fleming said it is. It is, and it's a conflict of interest. So you've got members from the Alice Springs board on there and the uh, Darwin Turf Club board on there. It should mm -hmm. be more independent. So they determine where the funding goes. So TRNT is essentially they just give it, and everyone's there to just grab the money as soon as it comes in, the taxpayer money. And the taxpayer money went up, it just kept going up. Um, so yeah, look, but just getting there to, uh, to Gunner today, I, I don't think that he, he really allayed any concerns or addressed any of the issues that people still have. Um, yeah. So Chris, you, you said that, um, as a result of the investigation that there's five key names that, that came out with, uh, I guess, adverse findings against them and, uh, potential, um, referral to uh, Department of Public Prosecutions, I think you called it, but what's the potential fallout for the government who gave the money in the first place? <laughs> well, we're going to find out soon because um, that's really, I think, where we, where we end up in the end, right? Where does the buck stop? And it, it stops at the chief minister's desk. And, you know, as much as this guy wants to go out and blame his chief of staff, he wants to blame the turf club. And, and look, these people, the, the ICACs found in the report, you know, engaged in what he said was misconduct. Um, there is, there is precedence for this um, way of thinking, though. And, you know, I, I hate to 
harp on about it as I have previously, but you've only got to look at the Victorian government in the last couple of years and apparently anything can happen there. And as long as the Premier says they didn't know what happened, then he seems to be safe in his job. But ultimately someone's got to, you know, take responsibility. Yeah, absolutely, Pete. And and this is where we're going next here, and this gets us into the last story here, because this is what we know of the government's involvement and the Labour Party's involvement, Michael Gunner's involvement, his most senior cabinet ministers, Nicole Madison, who was treasurer at the time, and Natasha Files, the racing minister and attorney general at the time. (laughs) Now, what we found, and you talk about that, I think that the public have not been happy about this from the beginning. Well, we know that to be true. I'm understating that. They've been outraged from the beginning. And here's what the ICAC has found actually happened to Michael's Gunner, Michael Gunner's office. And uh, as far as he could find um, with cabinet and decisions. And, and it really goes to the whole Labour Party and you see this. So look, Gunner uh, and cabinet approved the $12 million taxpayer grant to the turf pub despite having no evidence of any economic benefits to the Northern Territory and while in the throes of the financial crisis. Um, The ICAC also raised questions about Turf Club Chairman Brett Dixon's large donations to the Labour Party through various companies. The investigation found that Mr. Gunner and Cabinet approved the funding less than 24 hours after receiving a hastily produced business case that contained what the ICAC found were ill-founded and spurious claims of benefits to the community that they didn't even scrutinize. They didn't even look at this thing. By the looks of it, they got it at 2 p.m. It was handed to Jody Ryan, the head public servant and cabinet secretary, at 2 p.m. Now, like I told you guys before, Sean Drapsch, people, uh, Elf Leonardi, I think it was, was, was telling Dixon, you got to get this in today. Man, now nothing's happened since I wrote that lobbying letter for you guys in January. It's now June. Cabinet's meeting tomorrow. They're going to make decisions on where this capital spending goes. It's left over on allocated spending from the financial year. You got to get it in. So, so funding finds that they wrote it in the morning. They wrote it that morning and they sent it in. Mm-hmm. And then it, in fact, didn't contain uh, any verifiable costings. Well, for the $12 million price tag but also for the benefits that this is going to bring, right? Like at one point, I think they claimed it would result in 1,000 new tourists coming in to Darwin to go to this grandstand. How the hell did they come up with that number? Hmm. Like, and, and Fleming cast out on that. And then you've got 100, he says 100 employees would be, 100 full-time employees we brought on with this grandstand. Again, Fleming said that would like triple their current Current employee base yeah so uh yeah this stuff's crazy but now i think this is where we get into some issues here and this is where again um the dark side of nt politics rears its ugly head now labor heavyweights were brought in on this whole thing and serious heavyweights you had former chief minister paul henderson and former treasurer Sid Sterling, who's also, like we said, on TRNT board with Dixon. So clearly they know each other. But these two guys were working on behalf of Dixon to gain community and political support to help secure the funding, the ICAC's report found. Uh, and he was scathing about the possible influence of donations, free tickets, as we talked about to the events and undisclosed conflicts of interest. 
Uh, so Dixon had given those two fifty thousand uh, dollar donations to the party after it was discussed that funding would be increased to thoroughbred racing NT and the industry in general. Uh, as we point out here in the story, now that was they were disclosed. It was done in like July twenty sixteen. They were trying. It appeared that they were trying to get it in before it was disclosed until the next year. Um, but it did come out. Look, and and so. You know, Michael Gunner can say that he wasn't aware of the donations, but he surely was after that. It was reported everywhere when those donations came out. And you could see that Brett Dixon and his company had donated. He would know who had done this. Now, you talk to any political observer, will tell you the same thing. The leader knows. The leader knows who's, who the donors are. I mean, why do they show up at these events where they're raising money? They don't know who's there, but they got a mask on. Like, you know, Dixon's given these uh, $250,000 cash donations. He's given them to El Flianardi, and they're supposed to be, yeah, that Chinese wall that uh, that they don't know. But I, I think we're all past the point of believing that, I think. Uh, and here, even, you know, make, I'm not making any aspersions. I'm saying that two years after that thing, it was all disclosed. It was out there. They all knew that, that Dixon's companies were donors. Uh, and it showed, look... Um, that as early as uh, June 2018, Gunner had considered himself a big supporter of the Grandstand Project uh, and made that known to Dixon through Leonardi um, without a single written document having been prepared by the Turf Club. So this is in 2018. This is a year before it was approved. And Gunner's already saying, yeah, I support this. This is a great thing. The turf club had not written anything. There was no document of anything. It was just Dixon being in everyone's ears. So now you get into the question of what did Michael Gunner know? When did he know? Well, in June 2018, Yakak found he had said that he supported the project. Uh, yeah. And so <laughs> it continues here. Uh, you know, it was, yeah. And then, well, we've already got into that about how the, uh, the Turf Club's actual official application for funding had not been made into the morning of June 13th, the day before Cabinet approved it, although they were, it appeared, expecting it. Uh, Fleming said, remarkably, it appears not to have progressed much since the January letter, and it would seem that the business case that it was to contain still had not been written. Dixon threw together a hastily assembled uh, grant submission, again, talking about the market-led proposal, sent it to Drapsch, Drapsch sent it to Jody Ryan. 2 p.m. the day before cabinet. Uh, Fleming said it's important to note that the application was never considered under or analyzed against the criteria of the policy, the, the market-led proposal policy. Mm. So, so they just didn't look at that. And, it, and he said it cannot be said that the grant was justified by any rigorous process within the government. Yeah, I think the other thing that's really noteworthy here is, um, you know, we all hear about these... Uh, sort of last minute run to the finish line where government has to get money out the door or they don't get yeah. next year. But, you know, regardless of whether there was an extra grandstand needed or not at the Turf Club or wherever else there was, there was money needed, in the midst of a financial crisis, mm. it was underspending. Surely a, a, a financially, uh, you know, mature government would say, well, aren't we better off to keep that money or spend it in areas of crisis? Absolutely, Pete. Absolutely. We, that, that's what we've talked about a lot on here. Um, 
12 million. It always comes back to 12 million. That funds all of the media advisors. Yeah, as we said, and <laughs> yeah. department achievement minister. So right there, I mean, yeah, you're keeping that money. There you go. You got a full year of paying some public servants salary yeah. um, in a time where you're in a financial crisis. But yeah, look, they didn't consider that at all. It was clear that, that they wanted to get this money to Dixon, to Dixon, right? Um, and, and Fleming said, such a process could not be carried out, that being uh, any rigorous process to assess this submission that they put in, because really there was there was no submission on which it could be based until 2 p.m. the day before they had the cabinet meeting. Mm. Uh, he added, and this is very interesting, and I don't point this out, Fleming added that cabinet privilege prevented him from inquiring further as to what happened after Jody Ryan received that hasty submission, Right. So now that's very interesting because it came out last week that the ICAC Act does not respect journalistic privilege, but for some reason it respects cabinet privilege. I find that interesting. Who do you think is committing the crime? The journalist or somebody in cabinet? <laughs> and this is in the more end. likely to. Apparently, that, that I just realized this when I'm reading the report today. I was like, my God, but he's being stopped by cabinet privilege. But yet he said that journalistic privilege is nothing. He can compel journalists to reveal sources, but apparently he can't go and look at what the cabinet decisions were. Who, who you, voted for what in there? Are you aware of whether he has compelled any journalists to... He hasn't. No, he yeah. hasn't and he wouldn't. I think that was just, he was yeah. throwing that out there. But I'm telling you, and that was another story. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a scary goddamn statement. In fact, you know, and that's the other story that we ran this week too about how, you know, the government now is handpicked somebody, a public servant, to do a review of the ICAC Act, which seems to be to change at the whims of the chief minister, because he told Cunningham, oh, I'll make sure that the journalistic privileges looked at. Like, wait a second, what, what are the terms of reference of this thing? Mm-hmm. Like, you're doing a review of the ICAC Act, and you're just yeah. deciding now, well, it's already started, oh, yeah, you should look at journalistic privilege. Well, here's what I want. I want mm-hmm. cabinet privilege looked at. Not only journalistic privilege do I think needs to be enshrined in that act, the journalists can protect their sources and the whistleblowers are protected. I also, I'm really curious, I think there should be, we should look at what we can do at eroding cabinet privilege. Because I'd like to know how those decisions are made. And let's forget that there's no more legislative scrutiny committee. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So any changes that are made are just going to be made. So the CLP put forward a motion that was shut down, you know, before it even got started again, where they said, let's make this review a public process where you have public submissions. Hmm. You know, the CLP was losing faith in, in the ICAC. I'm guessing it was restored today for them. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you know, they said, look, when you, if you're doing a review and the government's doing a review, if you're doing a review on the ICAC, let's make a public thing, public submissions. Everybody gets involved. We all know what the terms of reference are, what we're looking at. Government shot that down, said, no, we're just going to do it. We got our boy Greg Shanahan here. You might know him, Leon, who was in uh, the Department of Attorney General and Justice for many years, chief executive. Um, so anyway, yeah, you know, we're digressing here from this. I want to get back to this this kind of dark side of politics. So in, in Darwin and what what a hundred grand or two fifty thousand dollar donations will get you. And what it appears here is this. Uh, Sid Sterling, as we mentioned was engaged by Mr. Leonardi and Dixon. And he started involving, uh, well, he started arranging meetings for Nicole Madison, 
for Dixon to meet with Ned Treasurer and Nicole Madison to discuss this project in 2018. So a year again before it was approved. Uh, in one of these, in one of these text messages between Leonardi and, and Sid Sterling, Leonardi said, I'm, I'm waiting for my time to pounce was his phrase, time to pounce. And that was in relation to convince. Where where did that statement come from? So that was Leonardi texting Sid Sterling in 2018 and told him he's waiting for his time to pounce in relation to convincing Nicole Madison, then treasurer, to agree to the funding to the grandstand. So Leonardi's waiting and he's waiting and he's, okay, I'm going to get her, but, you know, we'll get her on board. Now, here's what's interesting. Why is he telling Sid Sterling this? Well, just so happens Sid Sterling's wife is Nicole Madison's electorate officer. That's one way to get in somebody's ear. Uh, Leonardi then later arranged a meeting for Dixon with Nicole Madison where he, where Dixon obtained, according to the ICAC, her in-principle support, despite again providing no verifiable business case. But he ticked her name off. Yep, got the treasurer on board on this now. My God, and she just agreed to it. But Elf Leonardi organized it. Sid Sterling told her it was a good thing. His wife works for her in the electorate office. Oh, okay, I guess it's a good thing. Didn't look at any business proposal for this. Didn't look at where the numbers were. Just said, and this is, I mean, that goes to Nicole Madison's whole tenure as treasurer. And she's the one who signed off on that infrastructure development fund. But anyway. Uh, I, I just uh, got to say there, though, uh, um, I, I'm not sure if it's fair to implicate the wife in that because we have, she's never been mentioned on anything previously, has she? No, 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 no. It's so, just like, but well, there are connections here. Yeah, I mean, this is what because I'm she, Just because she works there doesn't necessarily mean anything. She might, she might not. Sure, but, sure. Yeah. I That's think you, fair. All right, think, fair enough. Yeah. I think you can draw a parallel well, just with the other two. Yeah. Well, no, I just think that it's all, this is what I'm saying about Darwin being very interconnected. You've got everybody everywhere. Now, Sterling arranges for another meeting with Dixon and Madison three months before cabinet approved the funding. And he wrote and said, look, she's going to, hi, Brett, spoke with Nicole, she'll fit us in on the 11th. Uh, and now he references this. He says, she said, Nicole Madison said, Elf Leonardi has been pushing the case strongly, but the financial position continues to worsen. So mm. at least acknowledgement there of something, but yet what happens less than three months later, it gets it gets approved twelve million bucks. What what worsened? Sorry, so NT so, financial position. Oh, the NT yeah, financial position, yeah. right? Okay, yeah, had worsened by by March by the end of March twenty nineteen mm. from where it was in December twenty eighteen when they announced we were in, in trouble. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Uh, yeah, so it continued to worsen. So that's acknowledgement that they know this, but yet it still gets passed. Mm. Uh, yeah, and they found that uh, the ICAC report found that remarkably the first written proposal describing the grandstand was actually in an email sent from Elf Leonardi to one of Nicole Madison's advisors uh, a full year in June 2018, a full year before it was made, made public. He suggested that the ICAC suggested that the source is most likely Dixon, who had influenced Leonardi, and that's when it started being promoted and talked about. Interestingly enough, that's when Gunner came on board too. Uh, yeah, look, I, I just wonder because then you've got, you've got these people and, and what does this, what do these donations buy? You've got, um, you know, Henderson, uh, Paul Henderson getting involved here. Now he goes and talks to Dave Malone 
it's revealed here in a text message. And he tells, uh, he tells Dixon, he tells Dixon that, uh, spoke to Dave Malone on his behalf about putting, about quote, putting an economic narrative over your new grandstand bid. He's happy to catch up with you and see if he can help Henderson route. Now, no suggestion there that Dave Malone did anything wrong. In fact, but what we see here is that you've got a former chief minister and then going around doing Dixon's bidding and getting industry leaders on board for this thing. That's Blanus's um, job, isn't it? It's bespoke. Isn't that what he does with his business? Well, did, did, was that disclosed? Did he pay? Was there a payment done there? I mean, this is a donation to the Labour Party that you have. By Dixon, and then he starts getting all these labor heavyweights on board. Yeah. I mean, what you're really highlighting there, Chris, is something that I think Ian probably picked up in his report. That we haven't, you know, you guys haven't uh, spoken to him about uh, the the Electoral Commission report and some of the recommendations that have come out of that. And and, and towards the end, as I understand it, there are some some uh, recommendations made in relation to political donations. I mean, the, mm-hmm. the problem is even if there was nothing wrong with the donations, the perception of impropriety is yeah. there, right? Yeah. You make a good faith donation of $100,000 to, to, through two different companies, and then two years later, you happen to get a $12 million uh, award, a grant. It just yeah. doesn't look good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, that, well, that's and that's the problem, really. Well, yeah, and then when you mix it in here with the facts, I mean, this is much deeper than that, though, too, man. I mean, you've got people actively lobbying on behalf. You've got this approval done uh, without any evidence, without any justification for the economic benefits. It was done the day before. I mean, how does that happen? How does, and this is where, this is like mismanagement, this is financial mismanagement of public funds, where... You know, Gunner can approve something or his cabinet approves something without any scrutiny. Right. And they clearly didn't have time to scrutinize this. And even if they did, what was there was garbage. And the ICAC report brings that out into sharp focus, doesn't it? Absolutely. Well, when you get into all of the details here and you go in and you start looking at this. But, I mean, look, you've got, you know, and in the end, I mean, there were no no conclusions drawn about the, the conduct of the chief minister, Nicole Madison, or Files. Um, but, uh, you know, a lot of that was because cabinet privilege prevented further inquiries, as he said, mm-hmm. and, you know, whether or not they were the focus of this, uh, of this investigation, uh, you know, but then all this other stuff happens too, right? I mean, you've got the current chief of staff, Emily Beresford Kane was files as chief of staff at the time, got rid of Leonardi brings in files as chief of staff, who was the racing minister's chief of staff at the time that the funding was agreed to. Uh, after the donations were made again, that, that, that's just a little too coincidental that, that all of that happened that, okay, we'll give you guys more money. And then all of a sudden, if we're elected, we'll give you more public money, taxpayer money. And then all of a sudden these giant donations come in, which are pretty large donations by NT standards, that kind of stuff. And then you see that some of these players who were involved in, in, in what was given to Dixon and to, the racing industry are now in positions in Gunner's office. It's, yeah, I just, I don't know. It's, I don't know what we do here. I mean, this is, but clearly we're at a point here where Gunner needs to do more than come out and say 
that, you know, it's all the turf club's fault, it's all Leonardi's fault. We're going to change uh, some of the ways we do our practice. I think he said that we'll be able to. A lot of the stuff that he announced today was garbage and had already been announced. Like that, oh, if, if we feel there's a conflict of interest somewhere, we can go in and do that. He said that two years ago, or yeah, two years ago after that whole um, debacle came out and they had to do after the draft report. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, look, he's done nothing here. I don't think to alleviate anyone's concerns that he is no longer capable or if he ever was of handling the public's money in good faith. One of the and things, that's what we get down to. one of the things in the highlights too, and we've, we've talked about this, you know, over the last year or so is that there have been a number of, uh, what I call it major submissions or, or major initiatives, uh, by the government that, after the fact, it's been uh, discovered and therefore, you know, announced to the public that, that these initiatives came with no business case, with no proper submission. Yeah. And, and to me, that just highlights that again. And that's exactly what we've got here. But on such a large scale here, like, you know, they pointed out it was like 26 times bigger than the next grant that was given through this kind of deal here um yeah and there was just no scrutiny provided it was all set up in this way that um you know like fleming said a duplicitous process on one hand you had this one idea and on the other hand it was really about just getting the grant and without anything without any documentation essentially it was all scribbled together might as well have been scribbled together on a cocktail napkin that morning and sent in and cabinet approved it anyway now how does that happen how does that happen where they don't apply any scrutiny to this at all? That's the problem. That's what Michael Gunner needs to explain to people. And right now, he hasn't done that. And you got to start looking at resignations here. Like, I mean, you've got to, somebody's got to be held accountable for this. And to just go and sack the, the turf club, that's fine because they did stuff that wasn't right. But you know what? You're the boss here, you're the leader of the territory. You're the one who is in charge of all of the public's money and you haven't explained to them how this happened and how you allowed 12 million bucks to go to this without any business plan, without any facts, anything to back that up. That is just crazy that that happened. And I think that's the biggest takeaway from the ICAX report, at least the way I see it. Mm. And so did he say anything about Alf Leonardi today, Michael, Michael Gunner? Uh, yeah, I believe it was something about how he's going to consult with Vicky Telfer, the uh, um, public employment commissioner, about, uh, I don't know, what can be done. Because uh, the ICAC had, had suggested um, had suggested uh, disciplinary action of some sort against him in his current position. Uh, he hasn't he's done like anything in wrong in his current position, has he? Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think he's, he's probably saying, like, the guy's got to lose his job. He's got to be sacked. I don't know what he's doing in the Department of Education. Like, there was that was, was always weird that he went there. Maybe there'll be uh, that's what happened the last time. It was actually, uh, it was deja vu. Because the last time Alf Leonardi was chief of staff under the Henderson government, uh, at some point there was some sort of falling out. I don't exactly know what happened there. But then he ended up getting a job oh, in the yeah. Education Department. So yeah, and Jamie Gallagher took over in that, right? It's a musical chairs with Alpha well, and the education yeah, and it's department. Like, it's like the, it's like the Catholic Church. It's like the Catholic Church. They mm-hmm. just move them around to the but, next place. But, like but, we said, but what but it does? I do want to just say though, man, 
Uh, just on on Henderson, though, still, like you're saying that, and I'm thinking about what you said earlier about him and his company. Well, but, you know, he's the guy on the TRNT when he, you know, this funding all started happening under. He was chief minister where all these deals are done, and now he's somehow involved with the guy with the chair of TRNT trying to go to other people. Uh, that's all just a little still a little gray, a little murky for me. I, I'd rather that everything's up front. And, and look, that's another part that Fleming gets to is about lobbying laws here. And this is something that we'll have to talk to Ian about, too, is because there are no lobbying laws here. So who's lobbying who and where and for what purpose and where's the money there? And, and this really lays this bear, too, is that we've got to start looking at that. There should be a lobbyist register here. We should know who's working behind the scenes to get you know, business leaders on board or political people on board. We need to know what's going on there. And right now we don't. Mm. Mm. Well, mate, um, I do want to end this podcast with a couple of comments. Um, we obviously did Weekends with Walshy last weekend. Uh, and uh, I think uh, this story featured a couple of times in that podcast. That podcast was released on Saturday, uh, as, it, as it is every weekend, hence the name. Uh, I got a call from Brett Dixon on Sunday, uh, and he was extremely upset about the fact that the podcast had been released. Uh, with, but I, I don't think, well, he, he told me he hadn't listened to the whole podcast, only to <laughs> that particular story. Um, about the turf club, and as far as he was concerned, it uh, it wasn't true. Uh, there, there were numerous inaccuracies in the reporting, in your reporting, and and uh, that he wanted me to come down to the um, turf club to have a look at documentation that would prove that all of this was wrong. Um, I, I was reluctant to do that because I'm, you know, I mean, I'm not a journalist and that's really not my job. Uh, he was disappointed that I gave you a platform um, to uh, comment uh, or, to, you know, basically talk about your stories. And I, I said two things to Brett. I said, one, Brett, if Chris Walsh is defaming you, then you should sue him. Why aren't you suing him? Um, and I wasn't able to get a straight answer about that. It well, let's it. be honest. There, there have been threats. There have been threats made by the Turf Club and right. Dixon and Brad Morgan. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, we didn't that stop us. So uh, yeah, I wasn't able to get a straight answer for that. But the second thing that I said to Brett was I said, look, Brett, you know, I'm not here uh, to pick sides or to do anything like that. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, Chris Walsh is a, um, is a, is a good reporter. Uh, he's, uh, he's very good at his job. And because the Northern Territory government does not give Chris Walsh um, access to government press conferences and has uh, actively uh, sought to stop public servants from uh, speaking with him, uh, notwithstanding that Michael Gunner has said he hasn't done that. Uh, I think I think you've told us that you've heard from various other sources on the fifth floor that that's not the case. 
But for whatever reason, the public service doesn't speak to you. Um, for, it's for those reasons that, uh, you know, we started Weekends with Walsh, you, because we wanted to give you uh, another channel to get your stories out. Now, I said to Brett, I said, you know, putting aside the defamation issue, if you want uh, to tell your side of sto- the story, this podcast and this platform is completely open to you to come on and to speak and to give it, give us your version of, of the facts and, and to explain why you think Chris is wrong. And Brett said that uh, he couldn't take up that option or that opportunity uh, at that time, but uh, he, he would do so in the future. So I would say to Brett Dixon, if you're listening to this podcast, uh, the invitation and the opportunity is available to you to come on and to to basically talk about this and, and to give us your version of, of the facts. Yeah, look, I'd be interested to hear that. You know, and, and Leon, let me just say this too, though, about that. And if he's, you know, and, and whatever, I mean, he's got his own issues. Um, every story that we ran, we went to him with questions. We gave him right of reply with everything that we ran. We went to him, we went to the, the, the board, uh, we went to sometimes the chief executive if we had to, uh, and they never responded. Nobody ever responded. Uh, and that, and that's too bad. I mean, because like I said, like we want to be, we want to be fair to everybody when we're doing this story. This, these were not in our, in our minds of beat up. This was like facts. This was stuff that we had, uh, that showed what happened and what transpired. And if people wanted to give their take on that, the, those people that were involved, we were happy to do that and give them that opportunity, but they never took us up on that. And I, and I, yeah, you know, I wish that they had of really in a lot of ways, but, um, but they chose not to. And instead it was, look, there's this whole idea about disengage and discredit, right? Like, and, and that's an approach that you do with media sometimes. And it appears to be what they did here was they disengaged with us, even though we tried our best to do that and then tried to discredit us afterwards. And, uh, I think what we've seen here now with the ICAC's findings is that, uh, look, everything we reported was accurate. We'd given them the opportunity to respond at, at every single turn and they never took it up. So, we're at this point now. I, I would love for Brett Dixon to come on and explain himself. Um, I don't know that that's going to happen, but I'm glad that you've made that that invitation to him too, because it still stands for us as well. Mm. There's something else that he said that uh, I forgot to mention, but um, as you were talking, you, you know, you um, you triggered my memory. One of the re- well, I must have uh, well in conversation with Brett. You know, we just I discussed with him why he wasn't engaging with you and uh, you know obviously you would have asked questions and and Brett said I think in the beginning that he did try to engage with you but um, he felt that no matter what they said uh, you were the, the stories coming out were always skewed always uh, facts were picked out uh, to make the story as bad as possible against him and his his explanation for that was, as I understand it, uh, was because Owen Pike was offended by something that happened at the turf club um, around about the time the comments were made about um, uh, what's her name, Moss, uh, Lauren Moss, and apparently he was escorted out or kicked out of the turf club, and so he has got a uh, vendetta against Brett and that um, 
and Owen Pike as the owner of the NT Independent Online newspaper is using you to get back at threat. <laughs> That's uh, just preposterous. Look, I have no idea about any of uh, Owen Pike getting kicked out of some pub there. I have no idea about any of that. I can assure you, and you guys know, I mean, I have editorial independence. I would not write a story unless I could verify for myself and to my own you know, satisfaction that it checks out, that everything's good, that it's true, that it's accurate. I don't just go, I've never done a single source story. I've never done anything like that. I need to check. I need to double check, triple sometimes. Well, always. And, and, uh, yeah, so that's just ridiculous to think that I would, uh, uh, you know, put my credibility and my integrity on the line to uh, what this is all about <laughs> the owner and some beef that he has. Uh, yeah, no, look, that's ridiculous. And I think our reporting speaks for itself and all of that too, right? Like, uh, well, and you can see that what happened here with the ICAG report today. I mean, everything we've done has been accurate. We've given them every opportunity. And just to his line, if he said something about how we tried to engage, never happened, would love for him to look when he invited you to the office, I'd go to his office. I'd sit down with them and have a chat about everything. I and mean, that's what I have to do. That's my duty as a journalist. And I take that seriously. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I've never heard of that. Owen's never even mentioned that. So I, I have no idea where that came from and nor would I care. I mean, what, what I can prove is what I will report. And that's what we've done on this. So one of my responses thing. to Brett in relation to this was, I said, look, Brett, as far as I know, Chris, you know, Chris Walsh has uh, complete independence as an editor. He has editorial independence in relation Absolutely. to the newspaper that is owned by Owen Pike. And I said, I, I said, I know this because Chris told me this. And I, I wouldn't no be there reason, otherwise. And I have yeah. no reason to, to uh, Chris hasn't given me any reason uh, to doubt that. Um, and, and Brett's response was that I, I was effectively very naive to think that <laughs> I, I don't know where he thinks this grand conspiracy is coming from here. Look, you, like you said to him, Leon, I think you just, you stay calm and you say, look, man, point out what's wrong. Let's have a discussion about that. If you say something's wrong here, let's talk about it. Let's figure out why you think it's wrong. He's unable to do that in any of these scenarios, any of these situations, any of these stories, any of these facts that we reported, he's unable to say where it's wrong. It's like, you know, Gunner and his uh, and his cronies doing the same thing. You know, um, attacking the NT independence still, but unable to show where. You know, it was interesting that Gunner, when he was in estimates, didn't say that same line. Oh, it's because it's a hate page. You know, like he used to say, he was offered that. He could have said that again, but he didn't. And I think he was afraid that you know the opposition leader would have said, "Well, point to anywhere on the NT independent." You remember, Gunner got away with this early on. So, no, it's a hate page. It's funded by a hate page, blah, blah, blah. Well, show us anything that's not been balanced at the anti-independent. I mean, there's another group of people that we go to for every story that we run, whether it's negative, positive, in the middle, whatever, or perceived that way. We always go to the government to get comment, and they, they, they don't answer. And then they get mad that these stories, um, you know, the people are reading. And look at the police, right? I mean, and um, their assault on us now where they're... Uh, uh, apparently the police commissioner confirmed that they're, they've launched an investigation into the NT independent and sources and who's giving us what. Uh, 
I mean, we're living in a <laughs> in a strange time and a in a dangerous place. If um, you know the police are doing that, you got this guy running around. I just want to assure everybody that you know, just read our stories. I think they speak for themselves, and that's what I always say. We stand behind what we report because what we report is in the public interest. In this case, with all of this. Um, all of these stories on the turf club and the grandstand, the public interest here is that it involved the, the expenditure of public funds. And, and I will never back down from reporting on stuff that's in the public interest like that. And you, you can threaten and intimidate. I'm just not going to do that. I'm not going to not report because I'm afraid that you're going to sue or something. And you know why I can do that is because I know what we're reporting is true. I've got to check. I know. I feel comfortable doing it. If I didn't feel comfortable, I wouldn't report it. So, you know, that's 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 kind of our our journalistic principles at the NT Independent, and nothing's going to change that. And I think that, you know, as we say, we're looking for people to come and join us here. I think what we've started is really good here, and we're hoping some people, um, you know, can offer some some services or anything to help us grow and expand and become what we're what we want to be and the vision that we have for the whole thing and it being a whole community led um, initiative that represents the community, holds people to account, never shies away, you know, without fear or favor, reports on tough issues, but reports it fairly accurately, gets all sides to it. That's what we're striving for. That's what we're striving for every day. Well, I'd like to say a couple of things before we finish up. One is related to the police as well. And I don't know if anybody else is shocked by this, but I'm just going to say it. I had the need to go into a police station this week, and I was shocked. We all do here. Yeah, and I, <laughs> it was it wasn't for uh, weekly reporting, but oh, okay, <laughs> crime. I, I was shocked to learn that from 4 p.m. Monday to Friday, Mitchell Street and Casuarina Police Stations are closed. And on the Mitchell Street mm. police station said due to COVID-19 restrictions, which <laughs> I was floored by. And if you want a police station, and this was told to me by the person on whatever the phone number is, if you want a police station at that time of day after 4 p.m. Monday to Friday, and remember that includes from 4 p.m. Friday to 7 a.m. Monday, you've got to go to Palmerston, which I was shocked. The other thing that I wanted to say it's was... Crazy. Clearly, neither of you two edit this bloody thing. So let's wrap it up because I've got work to do before this gets to air in the morning. <laughs> Good on you, Pete. Yeah, but, uh, guys, thanks. I appreciate it. It was a good chat, and I'm glad that we got to uh, discuss everything here. Thanks, Chris. That was Chris Walsh from the NT Independent Online Newspaper on the Territory Story Weekend Edition. We'll catch you next week. You've been listening to the Territory Story Podcast with Leon Logan Nathan and Peter Gowers. For more episodes, search Territory Story Podcast on all leading podcasting platforms or go to territorystory.com. The Territory Story Podcast, thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency.